This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Shall we begin? <laughs> Expecto Patronum! I find music a useful distraction, a focus tool. Keeps the inner voice from wandering. My process is purely logistical. If I'm effective, it's because of one simple fact. I don't give a forbid empathy. Trust no one. Fight only the battle you're paid to fight. what it takes if you want to succeed. Hey. Oh. BFM 89.9, you are listening <laughs> to Popcorn Culture. Uh, That's exactly with... the vibe of the, watching the movie. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I crashed I crashed the vocal, sorry. Um, you're listening to Popcorn Culture with Lynn, Sharmila and Arvin. And together we are reviewing David Finch's latest. Uh, it's The Killer, it's out on Netflix. It had a very short theatrical run abroad. It never came to cinemas here. Um, but yeah, directed by David Fincher, written by Andrew Kevin Walker. Uh, and starring really mostly Michael Fassbender. So I think that level of prestige is already enough to establish why it's been eagerly awaited, right? And I'm a big fan of David Fincher. Michael Fassbender, I think, is probably one of the best actors we currently have. So I had such high expectations for this movie. Um, I think it's fair to say, no spoilers here, of the three of us, I enjoyed it the most. Um, which is not to say I think it's anywhere near being David Fincher's best. I just enjoyed it. I enjoyed watching Fassbender's performance. Um, and I thought it was David Fincher trying to be a little meta and bringing a bit of black humour to what he usually does, which is your sort of sharp edge thrillers. That's it. I just wish it wasn't so meh by the end. For me, I just felt like I'd sat through a lot only to have no payoff. So I think we can really talk about like how much David Fincher is this actually, right? Like when we talk about David Fincher films, but my, like, like for me, I, I won't lie. Um, I kept thinking that they should have called this uh, ineffective Tyler Durden or <laughs> <Yes>! talkative. <laughs> That's know, exactly talk- the point, I think. Okay, like, yeah, that I'm, is I the sound, point. Yeah. That is the point. Or, or like talkative and, and clumsy John Wick. Man who doesn't do any of the things he just said he does in the trailer. Uh, that and yeah. also talkative is a stretch. Like inner monologue John Wick. In, in, <laughs> inner monologue yeah. John Wick. Um, so I can't say that I enjoyed this movie. La. There's nothing much to enjoy in the <laughs> first place. Um, I, I liked it enough. I won't remember it in a week or maybe uh, less than a week. Um, it felt like a good thing to watch on a weekend afternoon. Uh, Michael Fassbender is awesome, though. Uh, he he always is, uh, and the movie is purely on his shoulders. And yeah. yeah. Oh, guys, it's nice to have three of us back because I am just not a fan, I think, of this movie. And I, I was really excited about it. I love David Fincher. Um, I really like Michael Fassbender a lot. Um, Tilda Swinton's in this, and that's a great yes. bonus. So I, I expected to like this. Um, but from the opening 20 minutes of monologue and um, stagnation, I recognized that this movie was going to be a very particular kind of movie. I, I think it's important to say... Um, 
I, I'm not trying to sound defensive, but I think it's important to say, I get it. I, I, I understand what the premise of the movie is supposed to be. I think we all do. It's, um, you know, there's a thriller element to it. There's obviously, I think, clumsy John Wick. Um, there's something to that as well. There's, <laughs> there's a sequence where Michael Fass, Fassbender is running. Yes. Through a forest um, with a gun in his hand. And I'm like, have you held that thing before? <laughs> and it's just really nerdy looking. He, he's such a nerdy looking killer fire, you know, and, and it's an unusual model to kind of base the whole movie on. So I get that it's supposed to be about that. Um, I understand that it's supposed to be about the, to a degree, the monotony and boredom of the thing, the anonymity of it all. I understand all that. I think I just wish the movie itself had more personality or it had more forward drive. For a film that had six chapters in it that supposedly had like each, you know, distinct, he's working his way through something. I just didn't feel that kind of forward motion. Okay, firstly, the chapters make no sense. Like, they'll say something Mm -hmm. like, the hunt, and then he's just sitting in a car for like, what seemed like two hours. Yeah, so, sleeping. Yeah, so that's a little bit of a letdown. I do think, you you mentioned the first 20 minutes, I actually really think that your tolerance level for this movie will be indicated by whether you can sit through the first 20 minutes. I found the first 20 minutes actually quite fascinating. Um, the whole, basically the, the premise of this, without giving much away, not that there's much to give away anyway, is that he's an assassin um, who's hired uh, to murder people. And so the first 20 <laughs> minutes, <laughs> like in case you didn't know what an assassin, assassin does. hired to dance. Yes. Um, and the first 20 minutes is essentially him setting up and then waiting and waiting and waiting for a kill while monologuing. I found the sort of weirdness of this and his performance and the space within which he does all of this really fascinating. Um And I kept wanting to know where this was leading to. So I think ultimately my disappointment with the movie is not so much that all of this didn't work. It was that it led nowhere. Um, Even by the end of the film, it kind of leads nowhere. And his entire quest also doesn't have any emotional depth. And I'm the one who liked the movie the most amongst the three of us. So I I think this is where we should say that um, it, it is very important to say that this isn't the David Fincher in the way that we know David Fincher to be in his movies. So it isn't a David Fincher movie the way we know David Fincher movies. Um, Because there are like two Finchers, right? Like one is the cinema version, uh, the one who made Fight Club and Gone Girl and Seven. And then there's the Love, Death and Robots Fincher who uses Netflix like a personal experimental sandbox or playground or something. Mindhunter guy. Mindhunter guy. Oh, that's that's such a good point. Yeah. This is a very experimental film. 100%. Mm. Like, like no no major studio would have allowed this to have a theatrical release. Like, this is not getting made by any cinema studio, right? Um, So it's purely Fincher trying out something that could only end up on a streaming service. And I guess in that sense, it kind of works in a high-profile way. Um, But you won't get the same kind of cinematography or weirdly, like, psychedelic introspection that you'd normally get with his other movies. It's not... It's not cinema release, David Fincher. 
actually the clumsiness of it all, right? Um, which is a big part of this. Um, because as you heard there, this guy, this assassin, um, hired to kill people, um, prides himself on living by a certain set of rules, prides himself on being the best at what he does because he, he adheres to certain things. Um, but the whole premise of the film is that he botched it. If he doesn't botch it, the rest of the film doesn't happen. And so because of that, the whole film has also that quality. You know that you're watching a failure. I, I know that that maybe is a bit harsh, but it is an important part of the movie, I think. You, you know that you're watching somebody who, he tells you he's good at his job, but the actual reality of it um, or of what you've seen is not quite there. And that clumsiness... Am I liking it more? I don't know. Maybe I need to think about it. But um, the, I think if I believe that the clumsiness of the movie is intentional, even down to the way the action sequences are shot, even down to the way the fight sequences take place, if if we go with that, then um, then it's then, genius. Uh, then it's it's experimental Netflix. David Fincher doing a thing. So that's exactly the lens through which I watched the movie, which is why I think I enjoyed it from the start. He would literally say something. Like, this is the credo I live by. And then just not do it. He do will tell it. you that credo 10 times yes. through the course of the movie too. And each too. time proceed mm. to break it. Each time do the most basic thing. Like, go back to your home address that people know right after you know you've botched an assassination. I'm like, who is this guy? Is is this a spoof of a... And like, is there a movie that David Fincher wrote and then decided, you know what? It's funnier to make fun of this guy instead. That's an entire fight sequence, which I love, by the way, of a guy who's like three times Michael Fassbender's size. And I'm like, yeah. why are you fighting him? Not only is he three times your size, you're actually bad at hand-to-hand -hand combat. I'm not <laughs> sure what is going on. So it's simultaneously funny, but also kind of horrible to watch the fight because it's very violent. Um, and there's something about that, I think, that I enjoyed. Um, and it made me not straight up laugh, but appreciate the weirdness and the clumsiness, actually, of what was going on. So I think my biggest issue was that I didn't know if those things were intentional or not. Yes, um, I'm you know? still not mm. sure. I, I'm still not sure. Like, was it supposed to be funny or like a comedy or was it just like unintentionally funny? Um, and I think the biggest issue with the movie is that it's trying to be something deep while also being cool and violent and very like Fincher-esque. Um, and obviously it's not about a random hitman, like, you know, like, like Fincher's movies never are, right? It's a commentary on like technology and surveillance and capitalism, uh, money, greed, all that stuff. And I could have done without all that social commentary. Like it, it felt weirdly shoehorned in, um, like Fight Club mm. fan service. The, the whole premise of like, maybe this isn't the perfect killer and he's losing his edge and he's making clumsy mistakes. I think that was interesting and kind of funny enough. Um, the, the other stuff, like not so much lah. We're talking today about The Killer, which is out on Netflix. It is directed by David Fincher. It stars Michael Fassbender. Uh, we'd like to hear from you. Did you watch it? Did you like it? Um, did you... Did you find it interesting? Um, I would love to hear from you. You, you can WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Bunkus for Makan. BFM 89.9. The Business Station. Shine as that is criminal and broken. I'm so 
BFM 89.9, you're listening to Popcorn Culture with Lynn Sharmila and Arvin with our very mixed opinions on David Fincher's The Killer. Um, and actually, let's talk about the music because the the film, um, I mentioned that it's written by Andrew Kevin Walker, who previously wrote Seven. So David Fincher is, I mean, he's not quite Wes Anderson, but there is usually a, you know, a, a cohort of people that he works with. And that includes uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. And the music is there, but I don't think it is as... Um, mood setting as it typically is in a Fincher movie because as you just heard actually the band solely responsible for setting most of the musical mood in the film um, is the Smiths which I loved Um, Mm. I love the way the songs are used in the scenes again for me I think I loved it because of course, this is the guy who listens to the Smiths. Who's <laughs> like, While, Morrissey yeah, will guide yeah, me. <laughs> like self-righteously talking about anticipating and, you know, whatever. While also doing the dumbest things possible. Like it, it felt clever while also actually playing music that I genuinely enjoy. Um, it added a touch of coolness that I felt like he blatantly didn't deserve. So this goes back to the opening 10-15 minutes right? Um, that you spoke about before. Um, I think those were my favourite 15 minutes of the movie. And then everything just goes in a complete slump from there. Um, the, the, the opening 15 minutes had some of the, the most suspense I've seen in a movie in a long time. That interplay of uh, scene and music and the way it builds tension. And that score by, by Trent Reznor and, and Atticus Ross. Um, it's so disorienting and weird mm. and, and so, so, so unique. Like More creaks so than weird. usual. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, way more creaks than yeah. usual, way more bass than usual. Um, and the needle drops. I, I enjoyed the needle drops by the, the Smiths. Um, Can, I thought it was an awesome choice. So um, I also love the use of the Smiths. I think that they're yeah. deeply appropriate for a guy who whose biggest camouflage is like German tourists. Yes. So yeah. like, like it's, it's very appropriate. But I wanted to talk about the way in which, um, sorry, I know this might be a little bit of an audio nerd thing, but the three of us work in radio. And um, I want to talk about the way the music fades in or doesn't fade in. Because the way that um, the the scenes cut between one and the next, right? It's jarring. And I think it's done on purpose. And I thought that that was really interesting because the Smiths actually kind of come in in weird intrusive chunks. It's not faded in and then faded out and then background music and then it comes back up later. Actually, if you watch the film, what you notice is um, it goes to monologue, monologue, anticipate, don't improvise. And, and there it drops to almost nothing. Mm. And then he's he turns back to look at his target and then Morrissey's just shrieking at you. And then it dips again and it keeps doing that. And I thought that that was a really interesting way of um, denoting how his attention and focus is shifting. I love that, actually, um, particularly in the opening sequence um, where you are just... It's very getting, jarring. Yeah, and you're just mm. getting used to it, right? Because then there's this sense of actually there being almost three perspectives, I think, the, the himself in his head, himself as in reality, and what he's seeing. And, and the music actually clearly signals that, which I thought was really clever. But I think the point about the music also highlights the other thing, which... I know you said, Arvin, that it doesn't have the flourishes that you usually expect from a Fincher film, um, which makes it a cinema quality film. But I did love the way the movie looks and feels. And I think there's a lot here, particularly for Netflix movies, which have largely been quite lackluster in the kind of technical department. This movie... I like the way it's shot. There's a scene where he's um, running down a set of pastel blue stairs and the way the camera kind of looks at it from above... um, 
a lot of those things work really nicely and and I found myself appreciating those things maybe more because of how little else happens within the film. So that is so interesting because I I didn't like the way the movie looked. Um, I thought like for a David Fincher movie, um, everything from the cinematography to the settings to the set pieces look weirdly. They look Netflix lah. They look like yes. they were made for TV, you know. Except except for the violence. I thought the violence was so high profile and and cinematic. Um, it was like brutal and and gory, mm. uh, uncomfortable to watch. And then you pair that with the with the Smiths, um, and it's so like disorienting and jarring. I thought that right, like the the, the violence was weirdly so high quality and one of the few things that reminded me that I was watching a David Fincher movie because he shoots violence in a, in a very different way like even the sound and the sound effects and those things were consistent in in The Killer lah. It's odd, right? Because it's hyper-violent but it's also somewhat subdued. Um, yes. There's a moment yes. where he's using a, a nail gun and um, and that sequence is actually deeply violent. It's very violent but uh, what happens is Literally, hardly, um, not a bang, but a whimper. And and that's just how David Fincher does things. I think that I have decided I'm, I'm, I'm coming around. I'm slowly like turning the corner, <laughs> chugging along, opinion train moving along. I've decided that if we agree that the killer is just really bad at his job and that I can laugh at him the way that I've grown to love Matt Damon, um, it's, it's a similar thing. If you don't force me to love Jason Bourne, but instead I get to just enjoy Matt Damon being like, kind of this weird beta goofball. Yeah. <laughs> and if I put that lens on the killer and on Michael Fassbender's killer, then maybe maybe we're getting somewhere. Maybe we're cooking with gas. I think that's the trick, honestly. I don't think you're meant to take him seriously at all. I think he's supposed to be the story that Fincher never got to tell um, about all of the assassins. He, it's like the entrepreneur dream, you know? You only hear about the success <laughs> stories and not the failures. This is the failure being told like that. That's That's the assassin version of that's what the killer is. I think it's so difficult to to use that lens because Michael Fassbender looks like he's perfect at everything. Actually, like he, yes, right. You know? Like that's partly it. You it, expect him to be like a machine. Yeah, but then he runs and and, and he runs so fast. Like he's or running he falls so quickly and like the alarm yeah. wakes him up and he's not sure what's happened. We've all seen Tom Cruise and Daniel Craig run, right? Like there's like a yes. speed and elegance. Yeah. They're like leopard-like and well. Daniel Craig is leopard-like. I think Tom Cruise, there's no animal to compare it to. It's just a Tom Cruise run. But the Michael Fassbender run is something else. Because he's like pumping his hands and his knees are flapping and he's moving so quickly. Then he's got a gun in his hand. It's remarkable. <laughs> no, but While the Smiths play. <laughs> yes. So I actually think Fassbender did a great job in this film. Yeah. I, I think his, his performance um, almost feels like a sleight of hand. It's like, I don't know whether he knew what movie he was in, to be honest. Um, or whether he knew that this was supposed to be funny. Um for me, it worked. We like. are not convinced that it was supposed yes. to be funny. Yeah. You are making I this convinced. case. <laughs> um, I don't know whether Fassbender knew that he was supposed to be funny, though. Oh, he was just being himself. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone did be serious. <laughs> yeah. But that's the thing about Michael Fassbender, right? Like, he is somewhat like Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, you don't know where they are channeling this violence from um, because they have faces that say that this could, I'm not saying it is real I'm saying that it could be real um, you know he has a scary face and a scary smile like scary eyes like super intense 
um, which is perfect for the role, like, you know, extremely stoic also. Um, and also doing scary yoga. because <laughs> yeah, doing, doing yoga. Um, and you realize that everyone else in the movie actually can't hear him. It's only like you and him as like the audience um, listening to his thoughts. So those things worked. Um, I, I did think that they wasted Tilda Swinton, though. In yeah, her role, like, who like, was, that was wonderful. She was mm. in, in whatever little time she had on screen, she was so, so good and so charismatic. And Michael Fassbender spoke so little to her. And I was just thinking about how um, it's it's an odd trick to have an actor who is as charismatic as Tilda Swinton and then five minutes um, and then have an actor as charismatic as Michael Fassbender and tell him be boring for 120 minutes. And mm. I don't know. Maybe I'm never going to rewatch this, but I will. I will reconsider. I, I will. I will replay things in my mind and and come back to everybody in a week about how I feel. I mean, I liked the movie, and I don't think I would rewatch it. I don't think this is going to be at my top <laughs> ten, top five. Fincher's probably only made ten films. Anyway, um, I don't think it's going to be at the top of my list of David Fincher movies. Um, I think it's kind of. I'm glad I watched it. I have lots of thoughts to, and things to say about it. I don't know that it's a. I'll rewatch it every time I want a, a hit of this kind of thing. What a solid recommendation. I know, right? Put that <laughs> on the poster. <laughs> I liked it and I'm not going to watch it again. Um, I, I, I won't. No, like, like I said, I'll probably, I'll, I'll probably fin- like forget that I've seen this in a, in a week, la, tops. I'm going to forget. Ah, so we've been talking today about The Killer, um, which is the latest from David Fincher. Let us know if you've watched it and maybe if you liked it more than us or in fact disliked it more than us, if your feelings were stronger on either end. Um, or if you've seen it and just want to share, you can WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio and write to us at movies at bfm.my. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.